Have you ever wondered if your technology is listening to you? <laughs> We're supposed to be listening to it. It often is listening to us. Uh, we start a brand new sermon series today called Christmas Unplugged, and I am 39 years old, and I grew up knowing that when you ring a doorbell, you use your index finger to push the button. Amen? Okay? Studies have shown that if you are under 25 years old, you do, do not use the index finger, but rather you use the thumb to ring the doorbell. That the cell phone, the smartphone, has rewired an entire generation of people to ring a doorbell in a wrong way. You don't do it like this. You do it like this in Jesus' name, right? <laughs> That's what it's about. This has got to stop. The rewiring doesn't just stop which phalange we use to ring a doorbell. It goes much deeper than that. Uh, we have to address the elephant in the room, Okay. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Throughout this Christmas series, uh, we're going to explore the impact that technology has on us and what Jesus might be calling us towards. And before we start addressing this elephant in the room, um, I want to say that we're all in this together, okay? We are a culture attached to cell phone. When I was in high school, if you had a pager, you were awesome, okay? We didn't even call it a pager. We called it a beeper. And you would get a page... And then you would go to a payphone and call that number. I'm sorry, there are people under 30 here. A payphone is a lot like a cell phone, but you put money in it, it's attached to a landline. A landline is a lot like a cell phone, but it has a wire attached to it, okay? Times have changed. I am addicted to this phone. Uh, if I forget it at home, I feel like I left the house naked. Uh, I feel alone. Uh, here are some signs of cell phone addiction. See if you can find yourself on this. Number one, you sleep with the cell on your nightstand or bed. Okay, you're giggling because that's you. Number two, your friends or your spouse complain about how much you're on the phone. Number three, you check your phone first thing in the morning and the last thing before you go to bed. Number four, you have secretly practiced the art and mastered the art of texting while keeping eye contact with the person in front of you while pretending to listen. Uh-huh, gotcha, totally. You feel bummed when you forget to bring your phone in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, you're laughing, that's you. There was an article in the New York Times, Rise of the Toilet Texter, and it said this, 75% of smartphone users are on their phones when they're in the bathroom, which is interesting. But what is even more interesting is that nearly 30% of Americans would not go into the bathrooms without their cell phone. Nope, not going to do it. I'm not going to go in there by myself with nothing to do. Research have identified a new phenomenon called phantom vibration syndrome. And it is the perception that our mobile phones are ringing when they in fact are not. Other terms for this concept include ringxiety, faux alarm, and phone time, like phantom, okay? Phantom vibration syndrome. During the sermon, some of you are going to be checking your phone. Did it, did it ring? Did it, no? Uh, now, here's where the virtual gets real. Um, statistics show that um, the millennial generation will spend 14 straight years of their life staring at a screen. 14 years. One study showed that 68% of 18 to 34-year-olds don't go one hour of their day without checking their phone. 74% of these people, their phone is the last thing they see before they go to bed and the, last thing, the first thing they see when they wake up in the morning. 91% of smartphone users have the phone within arm's length at all times. 
It's like a baby. The average person picks up their phone 80,000 times per year, on average. Once every four minutes. So it's a problem, right? And so this Christmas, we're going to address the cellophane in the room, and with God's help, we're going to redeem our screens. That's what this Christmas Unplugged series is about. It's about redeeming our screens. So Romans 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I love about Romans 12, very famous passage, is that it says it's in view of God's mercy. It's not in view of God's anger or in view of God's righteousness. This is not a series about guilting you about technology, fear, guilt, behavior modification. I'm going to change your behavior by making you fear, feel scared or guilty. It doesn't work. It might keep people in line, but it doesn't transform hearts. And that's why here at Prodigal, you don't hear a bunch of do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do that. That's just trying to change behaviors. Rules are not where the life is. When I was growing up in the youth group in the 90s, we all listened to music on CDs, okay? Uh, loved CDs. And one of the more, and there was a big push from church in general, but a lot of youth groups to kind of get rid of your secular CDs. Anybody a part of a youth group like that? The, get rid of the secular CDs, the devil's music, okay? One of the more popular sermon series in youth group was Hell's Bells. And, uh, but it backfired because students would be like, wait, they're going to play this kind of music in hell? <laughs> Sounds awesome. And I remember being told that I shouldn't listen to the band Kiss because Kiss stands for Knights in Satan's Service. All of these were scare tactics for behavior modification. And when you're operating on that level, you might keep people in line, but you're missing the life and you're missing the love. This series is not about making you feel guilty or making you feel bad. We're not saying that your screens are bad. We're not saying cell phones are bad. But in view of God's mercy, we want to offer us all to God, all of us. That's what Romans says. Verse 1, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, not his wrath, not his anger, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is priestly language. We are no longer to offer sheep, goats, birds, cows, heifers. We are to offer ourselves to God as a sacrifice. We are to live our lives at, at, at the expense of self for God, giving ourselves away in love to others. I wonder if we are too busy offering ourselves to our technology rather than offering ourselves to God. I'm not saying your cell phone can't be good. I'm just saying that it can't be God. I'm not anti-screens. I just wonder if we've gone from watching them to worshiping them. Right? We're priests, right? And we've got these tiny temples that we hold in our pockets and we can worship and enter into the temple anytime we want. We've gone from worshiping the God who holds the whole world in his hands to worshiping a device that we think is the whole world in our hands. Just think, we're bowing down every time, right? 
just constantly bowing down. Perhaps God's just waiting for the glow off of our face so that he could speak to us. Uh, Next week, in the weeks beyond, we're going to be looking at social media. But this focus on our screens, it goes beyond texting, email, social media, Netflix, Amazon. Thanksgiving was this past Thursday, and I ate a lot of food. I'm sure many of you guys did as well. And anybody who's health conscious at all, you know your problem areas, right? I know, I know where mine is, okay? In regard to the screens of our lives, what's your problem area? Is it Amazon? Get a little fix? Do a little shopping? Which area are you prone to indulge in? What's your problem area? Now, now there are three questions that will help you identify your problem area. Uh, Here's number one. What do I consistently sacrifice my time for? You know, there's this thing on your phone that tells you how much you're on the phone. It's called screen time. Okay, anybody ever do this? Check this out. Okay, don't do this. (laughs) Because I promise you, whatever you think the number of hours it is, double it. And that's probably closer to reality. It's way higher. Your screen is discipling you. Second question. Where do I turn for comfort when I'm hurting? Where you first go for comfort has a way of showing you what you put your hope in. Uh, After a fight with your spouse or a difficult day, do you go to the temple, you know, find Amazon and do a little shopping? Something makes you feel a little bit better, three or four episodes of Netflix. Henry Blackaby defines an idol as anything you turn to for help when God told you to turn to him for help. Too often we're looking for our screens instead of the God of all comfort. Third question, where do I turn for direction when I'm confused about something? Increasingly, we want screens to do for us what only God can do for us. Give us direction in our lives. There has been, over the last several years, there's been an 80% increase in Google searches that start with the words, should I? Should I? Should I go out to eat? Should I get bangs? Probably not. Should I marry her? Should I retire? Should I go to college? Should I refinance? Should I start working out? Should I start a business? Should I stop smoking? Should I stop drinking? Should I go to church? Should I tithe my money? Should I start saving? Should I quit my job? We're asking Google when we should be asking God. We should be seeking advice from God, not Google. We're saying, hey Siri, hey Alexa. Maybe we should be saying more often, hey God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord. With all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He will make your path straight. He's the one we go to for guidance. If you want to know if you should do something, seek God, not Google. Um, A couple weeks ago in our church, we had a baptism tank here, and six people in our church got baptized. It was incredible. It was an incredible Sunday. And baptism has been the prominent action Uh, of people to identify with Jesus, to identify as Christians for the past 2,000 years. And in the Middle Ages, knights, knights in shining armor, they used to be baptized often with their sword out of the water. As if to say, well, you can't touch this part of me, God. 
I got to do what I got to do with this. So you get most of me. But Romans says to offer our bodies, our whole bodies as living sacrifice. For some of us, if we were to get baptized, we'd keep the phone out. Come out of the water. It's like, ha, 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 ha. careful. Don't get it wet. Some of us will get baptized with our phone out of water. Romans 12, 2, it says this. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When it comes to our screens, are we just conforming to the pattern of this world, or are we being transformed by the renewing of our minds? Uh, the Greek word here for transformed is metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. Okay, metamorphosis, right? The butterfly, the caterpillar. It, it's complete transformation, metamorphosis. When I was 20, I went on a trip to Disneyland with some friends. And uh, we had a great time at the park, went back to the hotel. And my friend Patrick said, hey, let's go to the spa and just, of the hotel and just like relax in the spa. And I was like, dude, that's, that's a great idea. So we get in the elevator and we've got our board shorts on. And he says, I hope no one's in there. So it's just, you know, just me and you just relaxing. And I go, dude, absolutely. Just the boys. And so as we walked past the pool, we see three couples already in the spa. And we're like, man. And we're deflated. But then Pat says, he comes up with a very brilliant, but also very immature idea. He said, let's pretend we're little kids and let's just be obnoxious so that all the couples leave. And I go, that's genius. So two 20-year-old men transform into eight-year-old boys. And as soon as we get, greet the couples, we get into the spa, Pat says, whirlpool. So we get in the spa, we start doing the whirlpool trying to get the water to do this. Boom, one couple leaves. We're like, yes, one down, two to go. And the water calms down a bit. And then my ingenious friend says, let's do an underwater hold your breath competition. So he goes to couple number two. You guys count, see who wins. One, two, three, we both go underwater. And then he comes back up and goes, shh, shh. And I'm still underwater. And then as soon as I put my head up, he puts his head down, comes back up and goes, I beat you. I go, no, you cheated. We start splashing each other in a loving and playful manner. And another couple leaves. And we're like, yes, two down, one to go. But this couple, ooh, they must have had the same idea. They were thrilled that the other couples left. And they're like, we just got to get rid of these two handsome 20-year-olds. And, uh, <laughs> and then we'll have this spa to ourselves. So they start upping their game. They start kissing. They know the only thing that's going to gross out a couple of eight-year-old boys like we were was kissing. And so uh, they don't know who they're messing with. <laughs> so I'm all out of ideas, though. Like we did the whirlpool. We did the underwater hold your breath competition. Then I see Pat get out of the water with his head down. And I'm like, no, Pat, we've, we've come so far. We can't give up. And my, my buddy was thinking the same thing because the next word out of his mouth was something that every kid loves to do around water. Cannonball. And so he goes, cannonball. It's like sloth from the Goonies. And uh, the, he leaps into the air like an Olympic high diver and dives in. And the couple's going, no. And I'm like, yeah. And then he splashes them. They go all over. Then he pulled his best move. His best move was he didn't come up to get their reaction. He stayed underwater and let me deal with the reaction. And they yell at me and they say, are you seven years old? And they get up and leave. And then Pat comes out of water. And he's got the hair kind of dripped in his face. He sees them walking away. And he goes, John, now you made our friends leave. <laughs> and they walked out and we had the spa to ourselves. It was a great night. Genius. 
Metamorpho, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Pat and I were transformed into eight-year-olds, but it was pretend. But it had big ramifications to the people around us. And that's when, when we are metamorphosized, right? When we are transformed by the renewal of our mind, it has an impact not just on us, but on those surrounding us. And so as we go through this series, this, this Unplugged Christmas series, and we start to unplug from the virtual world and plug into the real one that's all around us, it will have great ramifications on your own lives, but also on those around you and those in close proximity. A renewing of our mind is difficult. It's going to take discipline. And so as a church... This Christmas season, each week we're going to have very concrete, practical application. And so for this week, here's our digital detox, okay? This week, write it down, we're encouraging you to not let your screens be the first thing you look at in the morning and the last thing you look at before you go to bed. This is a hard challenge. This is a hard challenge. And, and I just want to let you guys know, throughout this series, I'm preaching to myself too. We're in this together, okay? Th these are difficult challenges for me. One author describes why we, why we go to our phones when we wake up. He describes it as three types of candy. There's novelty candy. We become obsessed with what's new, what we missed out on while we were sleeping. There's ego candy. We want to know what people said about us while we were sleeping, how many likes we were getting. Number three, entertainment candy. That even for a moment when we first wake up, we don't want to be alone with our thoughts in a quiet place. We want to immediately be distracted by some form of entertainment. Novelty candy, ego candy, entertainment candy. What's your vice? Psalm 3 says this, Psalm 5.3, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my requests before you and wait expectantly. I don't know about you, but that's not me in the morning. It's not. It's not like I spend this amazing hour and a half in prayer and wait expectantly for the Lord's voice every single morning. While you guys are all still sleeping, Pastor John is interceding. I'm probably sleeping too. <laughs> Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. This, this Hebrew word, still, it's the word rapha. And in, in the Bible, it, it is never translated as be still anywhere else except for in this verse. Everywhere else, it's translated as to let drop or abandon, relax, refrain, forsake. To let drop. I like that. Ever dropped your phone in the toilet? It's terrible. You know what's worse? Is what you do immediately when it goes in there. <laughs> no one will know. You can't plug into stillness if there's something already in that outlet. You can't connect with God when you're trying to connect with so many other things in your life. You, you can't multitask stillness. And God's saying, let's be still. So this week, that's our challenge. That's our digital detox, is to not let the phone be the first thing we look at in the morning and not let our phone be the last thing we look at before we go to bed. Pick up a book. And, and this, this mean, might mean TV too. Talk. <laughs> Eugene Peterson says this, stillness 
is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. A disciplined refusal to act until God acts. These are great. When I hear it make you feel bad, actually in a couple weeks we're going to be giving away an iPad because we're not anti-screens. But something's not right, right? Something's not right. We're more connected than ever, yet why are we so disconnected? Why are we more disconnected than ever? This holiday season, we just want to encourage you to be other-centered, not self-centered. To be other-focused, not focused in on our own. I want to invite knowing the band to come up. And during this Christmas season, it's all about gifts, right? It's all about presents. And just even this week, like this, today's December 1st, and, and we at my home, we do Elf on the Shelf. And so we have an elf that we named, and he flies from the North Pole, 1st of December, and he's got a little note and a small little present. And then my kids wake up, and they try and find him. They read the note, and they get a little prize. And, and he's always watching the elf. So when they misbehave, the elf knows, and he tells Santa. We do all this stuff. And this morning, my, my son and daughter got a gift for the first time. Um, and and we, we know as parents that giving the gifts is way better than receiving of them. As a kid, we th- we're convinced it's always about getting. But we know, as an adult, it's about giving. There's this story that's mentioned in all the Gospels where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And it's actually not 5,000. Because back then they didn't count the children and the women. So it's more like 20,000 people. So Jesus feeds the 20,000. And right, you've got a, you got a boy, some fish, and some loaves. And he gives it to Jesus. And he, he says to the disciples, go pass it all out. As they pass it all out, they had enough to feed all 20,000. And it just kept multiplying. Now, I, I believe it was a literal miracle that, that happened, that, that those were multiplied. But there are other pastors, there are other translators, there are other interpreters of this passage. And uh, one of the ways that they've described and explained this passage, I think is just as true and just as beautiful. It's not that the fish and the loaves were literally multiplied again and again and again. It's that those 20,000 people saw this boy give all he had, that act of generosity, and that that, it it didn't multiply the food, it multiplied the generosity in the hearts of the people. And so then 20,000 people gave a little bit of what they had, and then everyone was fed. Uh, We've got in the back, on the way out, uh, stars representing children in our city. Uh, children with difficult backgrounds, difficult home lives, and just not the financial resources to be able to have a lot of Christmas presents or maybe even any Christmas presents. And so we as a church have decided that we want to bless those families. And we, wanna, we, want them to, we want the parents to get the credit. We want Santa to get the credit. We don't want the credit. We just want to love on these families. And so uh, last year we gave away 170. And this year we had a tough time saying no and we have 236. So we are praying and believing for a multiplication of generosity in the hearts of God's people. That's what we're praying for. And so we want to encourage you 
as you leave today, would you grab some stars? Maybe even grab some stars and then tell the people at your work, hey, would, would you guys consider adopt, you know, buying a, a gift, a $15 to $20 present for a kid in, in, in this community? And we'll bring it back next Sunday and we'll wrap them together at night. We want to encourage you to multiply the generosity in our own hearts, in our own lives, this week and beyond. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name that that uh, you move in us, that we would be still, that we would be still and know that you're God. God, that we wouldn't just always be distracted by what's on our phones, what's on our screens, but rather we would be enamored with love of those around us. We pray for that, God. We pray that our virtual world would decrease in Jesus' name and the real and abundant life that we have in Christ rises up in its place in Jesus name. Amen. Would you stand as we declare that we're going to build our lives on loving God and loving others? Mm -hmm.